You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Today, we have an amazing guest, and it's an honor to have him here on the podcast. If you know who he is, then obviously you're excited. If you don't know who he is, well, get ready because you're going to be hearing from a very intelligent and wise and very honest man. His name is James Altucher. James Altucher is from his own podcast called The James Altucher Show, which I've been a big fan of for many years, pretty much right when it came out around the time of 2014, 2015. And he interviews some amazing people. He's interviewed Guy Raz from How I Built This, if you listen to that podcast, which is an amazing podcast. He's interviewed Sam Harris. He's interviewed Richard Branson and so many more amazing people. And I get the, uh, like I said, the honor to be interviewing him today on this show. And we're going to be going into a lot of different topics, of course, all related to dating and meeting women. He's going to give his viewpoint on learning how to meet women. And we're going to be diving into his story in terms of how he was what he considers uh, not so much of a ladies' man when he was younger, but then as he got older, he was able to attract more women into his life because he was able to build skills. And so we're going to be talking. It's funny when I say that, it sounds like uh, we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite. I remember there's a, there's a line in there about skills. But he does talk about that and how all these skills and all these things have made him more interesting. So he's a person who's more interesting, more interesting to talk to, and therefore more captivating and more attractive to women. So he's going to tell his story on that. We're going to go deep into some of the things that he's been through in terms of all the times he's failed and succeeded and rejected. And he's, he's had a very interesting life. And he's been kind enough to share it with us today on this episode. If you want to check out more from him, check out the James Altucher Show. By the way, he has written a ton of books all on different topics, a lot on personal development. He, he has his, his tagline, which is choose yourself, talking about how to make yourself uh, healthy first and make yourself the best person. And then everything else lines up in your life. We, we end up talking about that towards the end of the episode, which you'll hear. But definitely check him out on his podcast. You can check out his book, Choose Yourself. And you're going to hear from this also at the end of the episode. We talk about that we're probably going to have him back on in February when he releases his new book, which is really exciting. So, all right, let's get into it. Here's my interview, which you're going to thoroughly enjoy with James Altucher. Hey, James, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Trip, I can't believe you finally asked me for this podcast. This is, this, <laughs> this is my dream to go on a podcast called How to Talk to Girls because it's I'm going to both learn and I don't even know what I'll say. Nobody should really take my advice, although they could decide for themselves after they hear my story. I feel like I've heard you say that on your podcast either way. Like I've heard you say that before. Like, hey, you might not want to take my advice, but you know, here's some things I know. Well, you know, the thing about advice in general is nobody should take anyone's advice. Like everybody has a story and you should listen to people's story and 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 see what they did see how they analyze their their you know story usually has some some suffering some struggle see how they suffered see how they dealt with it see how they bounced back see how they solved their problems 
and then decide for yourself. Like, I don't really like listening for advice or, or taking advice. Now, that said, I think advice plays a role in human interactions, but it's, it's just weird on a podcast. Like, oh, I'm on a pedestal. Here's what you need to do to have sex more often and make more money and be happier because I'm perfect. Like, the notion of starting with advice is always a poor one. So yeah, and and, and I, I get what you're saying too. It's it's start with your story and start with, well, what makes you do what you do, you know? But the thing is with the How to Talk to Girls podcast, this is like episode 453 or something like that. And so there are many times on this podcast where I do tell my story and I do relate back to, okay, this is how I solved it. This is what I went through. Uh, to make guys know, the guys who are listening now, that I'm not Mr. Perfect and I've been through what you've been through. And so I hope that the things that I've learned can also help you. So I'm curious for you then, what are the things in this realm of dating? What's your story with dating relationships? And you said before this podcast episode, when we were talking that you have uh, some things that you learned and some things you solved. So I'm curious to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was, how old are you when you're in seventh grade or sixth grade or like when I was 12 or 13 years old, this was the exact time my parents decided, or I guess the medical universe decided that let's get James the dorkiest glasses possible. Let's put not only just like braces to fix your teeth braces when when i was a kid was different than braces now i feel like braces now are these invisible things that come and go and solve all your problems braces when i was a kid were, were these huge gray metal blocks that were put on each tooth and tied together with these metal wires and then rubber bands to further tie them into your mouth and on top of it, you know, so 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 basically I enter in into puberty and at the same time get the maximum amount of machinery placed inside <laughs> my head. And okay. on top of that, I had like wild, curly black hair in a day and age when blonde hair and blue eyes is is all the fashion. And of course, that's probably still the case now. And starting around sixth, seventh grade, so really around starting around seventh grade. I started to get acne and not just a little, but quite a bit. So, and then, and then not only that, my head decided to grow at twice the rate of my body. So I go through seventh, eighth, and ninth grade with this like enormous pumpkin sized head and tiny body. And I don't know, it was really unplanned. And I was just, you know, some people are, are fortunate enough to not be as interested in the opposite sex until they're a little older. But I was like obsessed from fifth grade on. And so everything was just happening to me at the wrong time. And it was really depressing. And my first date was when I was in 12th grade. And the first time I ever kissed a girl was I was a freshman in college. So in other words, what I'm saying is I'm the right person to take advice from. If you went up to Brad Pitt and said, Hey, Brad, can you give me advice about girls? He's not going to give you good advice. He's going to be like, just go say hi. Right. Yeah. He'll be like, just go say hi or just, just look at them and like, I don't know, give a little not shake to your head, like come over here and you're done. I'm not saying girls are so whatever vapid that they would, you know, go for that. But 
90% of girls probably are and 90% of guys probably are depending on who's winking at them. So, you know, it, it all depends what you want. And for me, I just, I just wanted to go on a date. That was hard. I would ask these girls out on dates. Like I remember one time I asked this girl out on a date. I was in 10th grade and she said, you know, ask me again in a hundred years. And she said it Ooh. just like that, but kind of polite. But like, that was like a fact, like ask me again in a hundred years. But I actually like, that was my best interaction with, with asking a girl out during high school. And I, cause I actually had hope after that and everything else, like literally girls would run away. Or one time I asked this one girl out and you know, we were friends and then suddenly she's like, she's not talking at all. And she doesn't know how to say no. I, I, and I'm just sort of standing there. And then some guy from the football team walks over, sees that she's kind of awkward and I'm just standing there. And he, and so this big guy from the football team asks her, Hey, you need any help or anything? And he like looks at me and I, I just, it's like, I'm like a, this rapist or something just for asking her out. And that anyway, that was my, the average experience I had asking girls out at that time. So where do you think it turned for you? Where, you know, so, or did it turn for you? When was there a point where you did start to see success or, you know, what were the things like, did you look updating advice when you got into your late teens, early twenties? Was that something that you were trying to get better at? I don't think there really was dating advice back then. So I'm, I became 18 years old in 1986. And so let's say 1986 for the next 30 years after that, I was either married or dating. And, you know, particularly in the late 80s, early 90s, it's not like there were a lot of books or, or there was no internet for asking, you know, trying to find advice. This is what I did to, to, to try to get advice. When I was in seventh grade, I bought all these books about how to get psychic powers because I thought maybe <laughs> this was my only chance was to somehow read minds and see in advance what would be the right thing to say or what girls would like me or maybe I would figure things out so I would know what to say. And other than that, I had like zero skills. Didn't really have even friends who were girls. And I had no, like again, no success at all. So I think in 12th grade, you know, my senior year of high school, things started to turn around, which doesn't mean things got good. It's just that I went on a date. I had a little bit more confidence. Like I got it, I, you know, a couple of things happened. You know, I was losing the acne. I lost the braces. I got contact lenses, got into a college. I, I um, you know, I was always trying to get good at things. And I think the only reason, Maybe you've heard this before. You probably heard this before. But essentially, the only reason I feel guys like to get good at things, like let's say call it sports or whatever, is so girls would like them. And I also wasn't an athlete. I was a very non-athletic person. And so I had to figure out what am I going to get good at? So I was always trying to get good at something. And I would get obsessed with these skills and trying to get good at them. Anything that would give me some attention you know, like you see a lot of kids try to get good at doing magic acts because they know that will, you know, even though it might be the dorkiest thing in the world, it's the one thing they can do that's a skill that that will sort of get attention. Kind of like the same way someone wants to be a musician or like a rock star. You get a lot of girls 
you know, or you, you, you meet a lot, you have an opportunity, let's put it this way, you have an opportunity to meet a lot of women. This is all going to sound like really sexist or whatever, but no, I mean, I, so Chris Martin of Coldplay, I, I don't have the factual data here to back this up, but I did hear from a friend of mine who said he read an article that Chris Martin of Coldplay said, who's an amazing musician and has created amazing music, yeah. said that the reason why he got into music was because he wanted to get more girls. That's how that, it all started for him. That's the reason. I honestly think that is at least 50% of the reason to get into anything. I mean, you'll, <laughs> you'll still, like, if you, you you're not going to get, like, I'm not going to get into playing golf because I just don't like playing golf. So you're still going to do things that you enjoy. But if you're not going to get attention from women, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you, okay, maybe you're doing it to you know, get further ahead in jo- uh, a job, but you get further ahead in a job so you can make more money. Because, and again, it's not that women are gold diggers. I'm not saying women, you know, are going for a man for the money, but money is another thing that measures how good you are at the skills that you love. Right. And that it's one way of measuring. It's not the only way because you could, you know, you could be really good at something and not make money from it. But, you know, that is attractive to women. I, I remember one time I told, I was a senior and I was going into college and my father asked me, what do I want to major in? And I said, oh, I want to be a psychologist. Because actually, as part of my quest for being interested in you know, having a woman or a girl like me, I read tons of books about psychology. And again, in, in addition to books about psychic powers, I would read all these books about psychology. And I would read all these books that were like Dear Abby sort of books because a lot of people would ask about relationship advice. So I really... I almost thought I wanted to be a psychologist. I read so much about this. And so I said to my dad, oh, I'm going to major in psychology. And he said, don't do that. And I said, why not? And he said, you won't make any money. And I said, well, maybe I don't really want to make money. I mean, that's not the most important thing in the world to me. And it, it, it wasn't and it never has been. And he, says, and he said to me, no, no, no. If you don't make money, girls aren't going to like you. This is the advice my father is giving me. And we're, you know, right before I'm going off to college. And I said, well, what if I don't want to meet the kind of girl who only likes me because I have money? And he said to me, no, no, no. She's not going to like you because you have money. She's going to like you because you're the kind of guy who can make a lot of money, which was a difference. The difference being, of course, that first has to come skills and mastery and confidence to make money. And if you're that type of person, you'll attract more women. Which it conveys that because it's conveying something when right. you have that. Right. And I, I think what happens is, and I think that's still true. I mean, it's not, I think we get fooled by money into thinking that you're supposed to spend it on luxuries in order to signal that you have it. And that, and, and so, but what happens then is everybody lives in this fake world of cars they don't like, living in houses they don't really like that much, buying a boat they never use, and going on vacations they hate just to kind of signal that, oh, we have the money lifestyle. Much better is to have the pre-money lifestyle, which is the skills and the confidence so you can make the money. After that, like, there's not really that much fun you can do with money that you can't do without money. Mo- most of the great things in life you could do without having money. And there's only a few things that, that money makes a lot better unless you're into owning sports teams or whatever. So in a sense, my dad was kind of right. It was just a weird conversation to have about it. Like he was right that confidence and skills made me need attention less 
and made me need the attention of women less in order to feel good about myself because I felt good about myself with the skills I was developing that and passions that I loved that I was developing and the confidence that came with that. Of course, I still, I think, was pretty unconfident until I was about, I don't know, 50 years old. But I got better and better over time. What, two years ago? Yes. <laughs> I got, I, something I, crazy happened in the past two years that gave you all this confidence. No, it's just I, I kept I had confidence, more and more confidence all along, like starting from that age of 18. But I was so much in the hole already from being rejected so many times and dealing with years and years of braces, glasses. And when I say I had acne, like I had like these, I don't mean to gross out, but I had these big purple cysts. Like you'd see my face, that's all you would see and on top of the glasses, braces, wild hair. And I was just totally uncool. I remember one time we had a square dancing class in gym. I don't know why they thought kids would be interested in learning square dancing. I had that too. Yep. And it was really horrible. Like, you know, you had to dance with girls, of course. And all the girls would tell each other, you don't actually have to touch him and about me. And they would hold their hands about an inch from my hand. So it would be as if they were holding my hands, but if not really, it was all just stupid. And I, I was constantly just keeping my eye out for being insulted behind my back. And, it, and I would notice it happened quite a bit. So I would lose more and more confidence. And, you know, like, I, I, you know, I would just see people talking about the cysts I had and I would have to take off school twice a month in order to get this doctor to drill holes in my face. And it was just horrible. I really didn't have a good... But, but consequently, I read tons of books about not dating advice, not like how there's books like The Game Now, but I would read all the Judy Bloom books and teen romance sort of books and psychology books and the books about having psychic powers. It sounds kind of crazy, but actually I never got any psychic powers, but they ended up being this backdoor way to, to understanding meditation and you know how to live a maybe less stressful life, which you know probably helps somewhat. And oh, sure. So finally, by 12th grade, maybe I wasn't as bad a shape, but I still had no confidence. And it took a really long time. I mean, really all any girl had to do to get me to like them was simply to like me. That was for the first 10 years at least, a girl just had to like me and I would fall in love back instantly. That's how it is for a lot of guys. That. That, for me as well. I remember... That was, you know, if that ever, if, if that ever happened to me from like ages 10 to 22, if any girl liked me, it would make me feel attracted to them like 99% of the time. You think the same thing happens in reverse? I don't, I don't know if it does, but I don't know if women realize how much, how, all they have to do is show a guy that they like them and the guy is like in love. If I were to theorize on it, I would say that it's only for low self esteem people. I think yeah. that that wouldn't happen to a woman necessarily, but it could if she had low self-esteem. And any guy who's going to be triggered by that also probably also has low self-esteem because it's like, okay, you don't really have confidence or there's things you don't like about yourself. And then someone else shows that they do like you. And then that makes you feel good about them. And then that triggers something that makes you almost attracted to them or just like the validation enough to keep them around. Right. I think it's, I think it's the validation. I think also 
it's not going to work out well because if that's the only reason you like them, then eventually that wears off. Oh yeah. And those relationships don't disaster. work out. Yeah. yeah. It, it took a long time for me to realize that maybe I haven't even yet, but I think I have, but only time will tell. But this is one of the hardest things in life. It's good you're doing this podcast. I mean, it. Uh, it's interesting. I'll tell people what I do for a living who are totally outside of this realm, even people who maybe are outside of the realm of personal development or you know, even read any books on that, and they're shocked. I, I can't even tell you like how many people look to podcasts, YouTube, books, programs to get this information. But there's people out there who are like, wait, what? There, there, that exists? Like People need help with this? Like They don't understand that there's a whole realm of people, and if we're talking about guys specifically, that need help with this. So they're shocked that my job exists. But you know what's interesting is sometimes I'll tell a woman what I do, and she'll go, oh yeah, these guys need a lot of help. But they're not referring to the shy guys. They're referring to the guys who are assholes. They're referring right. to the guys who are overconfident, treat them like shit. And I have to tell them, okay, no, no, no. So th- those aren't the guys I'm working with. I work with guys who are not confident, who need help getting women, not guys who are jerks to you. And then it confuses them even more. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's been, it's been such a journey that... And obviously, it's just it's an ongoing journey for the rest of your life, but it's it definitely has been a journey. And it, it's funny, like having this podcast because all the time I talk about like self betterment or or financial stuff or you know writing or any of these things that I'm like passionately interested in. But it, a lot of it just boils down to this topic, and it's 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 fascinating. Have you ever had anyone on your podcast that specifically talks about? Dating advice, relationship advice. I don't know. Have you ever had like John Gottman on? Or no? Although I've, any, I've, I think I've reached out to John Gottman. He's the love language. Oh no, he's what is he? Is he the love languages guy, or is he? No, he's not the love language guy. Um, is he the one he, he can tell in a second if somebody's going to work out correct. or not? That's yeah, it. yeah. I've I've read his stuff. My wife's read his stuff, and it's all interesting. And I think I always plan to have him on, but never have. Okay. So yeah, no, I, I was just curious about that because you talk a lot about personal development, and this is a huge part of it. You know, it's almost funny that we have coaches for all these different areas of our life, but when you hear dating coach, you almost laugh a little bit. And, and I agree. I mean, I understand why that's funny, and it's just, but it, what's what's really interesting is how abnormal that is, and it's like, well, that's a problem that needs to be solved. How has that not been a thing for a while? You know, and so the closest thing that people related to is a therapist. And therapy is great, and I believe in therapy, but the problem with therapy is that it doesn't still solve the problem of, well, how do you go up to the girl? How do you start a conversation? Right? How do you talk to girls? How do you become a little bit more interesting? How do you build confidence? What are the practical steps? You know, so that's interesting. Yeah, like like I think therapy is great for when you're in the relationship and you know, something confusing is happening to you. Yeah. Therapy is great. I, I view therapists as like almost statisticians. So they've seen whatever situation I'm in, they've probably seen it a thousand times. So out of those thousand times, maybe 600 of those situations worked out and 400 didn't. And so I want to know, well, the 600 where it worked out, what did they do? So statistically, what is the most effective thing for me to do 
in this situation in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or a dating relationship or whatever. And they're usually the, the therapists are usually very good at that. I don't even know if a dating coach can really help you that much when it comes to walking up to a girl and asking her out. That is a hard skill. And maybe a coach might even like up the anxiety, like, oh, I got to do what the coach told me. Like, you kind of have to develop your own. You have to just, the only really way to get good at anything is to experiment a lot and learn what works and learn what doesn't. And the key of, if you think about experiments, think about the scientific method. You have a hypothesis and you come up with an easy way to experiment with it so that there's very little downside to the experiment and there's enormous upside. And so by viewing every skill in life that way, it gives you a good context to learn things. Like, you know, another another model for learning things is this so-called 10,000 hour rule, where if you spend 10,000 hours of what's called deliberate practice, you'll be the best in the world at something. But that doesn't work for relationships and social interactions and dating. And actually, to be honest, it doesn't work for much except maybe playing the violin and memorizing strings of long strings of numbers. I think in general, a better model for learning is the experimentation approach. So if you want to start a business, figure out ways to experiment with the idea in order to validate it. If you want to get good at golf, get yourself a coach, but also encourage yourself to experiment with, with you know things that you haven't tried before that are outside of your comfort zone. And certainly going up to somebody in a social situation and saying, hi, you know, I'd love to get to know you better. You got to do a lot of experimenting before you don't, before you stop coming across as just this creepy person. Well, here's the thing. What's interesting is, so you're right in terms of how this works. I agree with that, you know, because I coach guys myself on this. So what the, the issue is, is, and I tell guys this, and this is something that I, say on this podcast all the time. It's like if you really want to get better with women, you got to throw yourself in the fire and you need to get out there. And look at it, by the way, as an experimentation process. I say that because it's a way to not have a bias towards anything and also just remain a little bit calm in the process so you're not attaching too much emotion to it. But yes, you want to get better, you need to go out and do it. The problem is, James, is that when they go out and do it, they don't know what to do. Right, hence right. how to talk to girls. So they don't know what to say, and they're really nervous. And they hear like 450 episodes on a podcast like this, and they're like, "I don't know where to begin." You're talking about this and that, and flirting and this and whatever. And how do I put this all together? And so, step one: stop listening to podcasts, stop buying courses, stop going to YouTube, and go out there and just get rejected and go through the process. And then you can come back to material like this. I tell the guys. So then you can be like, okay, I went out, I tried it, I did it like 50 times, eh, it went okay sometimes, maybe I got one number, but it didn't really go too far. Now what do I do? Well, maybe they're using an opener that's really lame and really boring that a woman has heard before. Maybe they're still giving these signals off that they're very unconfident, very nervous, very shy. So there is something to be said, I believe, in getting guys to go out and do this, but also practice in a baby step method like you would the violin like you would guitar and really just taking it kind of step by step and going, okay, well, now you bought the guitar. Well, now what do we do? Well, we got to learn how to you know, do scales on the guitar. So equivalent to that might be like, all right, so now you're out 
and you're at a place where there's women around, now what's the next step? And it's okay, well, let's just start really easy and just ask 10 women directions somewhere. If you can't mm. do that, you're not going to be able to do anything else because you got to get used to the idea of going up and approaching or at the very least, get yourself on dates from online dating and just be able to have the experiences of being in front of a woman because James, what's interesting is a lot of guys don't even have those experiences. And you know, like they're they're in their 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s. Or like I work with a guy right now who's 42. He's been married for 25 years. He's never really been on a date before. And he's freaked out to go on a date. The guy is 42 years old and has kids. Well, let me so, ask you, you know, so what's the relationship between online dating now? Like, does online dating skip any of this? Because you kind of don't have to go up to a woman in a bar anymore. You can just do an online date. So that's a great question. It can, but the problem is, is well, A, if you just do online dating, you don't have the chance to meet people who wouldn't be online. Okay. And the second thing is, is you don't get to practice the sub communications with talking to a woman that will make you more attractive. So if someone just relies on online dating, they're going to miss out on that because eventually you have to be in front of the woman. But also, there's a lot of guys who online dating isn't even working for them. I get guys who come to me for coaching and they're like, I don't know what to do. I think I should just approach women in person because I can't even get a woman to respond to me on these apps. I think that you got to do both. Is You got to go online and you got to approach women in person and do a combination of both. I think that some guys think that right now. It's like, oh, online dating, that's how you date. You know, like, Gen Z is going to be like, oh, that's how you date. You go on the app and you find someone. But that is going to cause problems because you might not. Or here's the, the, another big problem is you might settle because that's the only way you think yeah. to meet women and then you settle with someone who's not good enough. Yeah, I think the settling thing is what happens. Like if again, if you like a girl just because she likes you, you're going to settle. Right, exactly. And I think that happens so much. That's one of my theories of why I think the you know divorce rate is so high. Of course, there's a whole lot of other factors, but I think that's one of them. Because I think a lot of people didn't take dating too seriously, and they just got in front of whoever they were in front of, and you know maybe they had low self esteem, and the woman kind of liked them, or it just kind of worked. And then you know you just go through the next steps because that's what your parents did, and that's what their parents did. Now you're married and you have two kids and you're like, I don't love this person. Yeah. No, have I've you been yeah, divorced think, before? Yeah, twice. Oh, okay. So then, by yeah. the way, that, that's usually considered... I'm almost... I remember... So this is going to be kind of funny. I had a podcast with Judy Bloom right when it looked like I was going to be getting a second divorce. And I remember saying to her, I feel like damaged goods because it, it seemed shameful to be divorced twice. And I want to say just to be upfront... Both times were not my fault. And by that, I mean, she, no one cheated. There wasn't anything like that. There was, it was just circumstances were unfortunate in one case. And in another case, it's like you marry, it was the first marriage and you know you have kids and then it's not really working out for whatever reason. And then you get divorced. But then the second time was sort of un, other unfortunate things happened, but had nothing to do with cheating or anything like that. And so it's not like, it's not like I I played around. I, I never did anything like that. I always was a wanted to be a good guy and 
maybe I could have been more attentive, particularly in the in the first marriage, but I am what I am. And so yes, I've been divorced and then I've I've had plenty of relationships since then and and so on. So I kind of want to rewind a little bit because eventually you found a woman to marry you, and I'm sure you were dating. So I'm curious for you from all the uh, the things you were saying about you know how you felt about yourself in your teens and and into your late teens and what your dad said. What what did change a little bit for you? Because you know I, I talked to guys who are 40 year old virgins. That's not you. So I'm curious. Like, what uh, yeah. So let me ask about that. What 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 makes a 40 year old virgin? What makes a 40 year old virgin? Uh, someone who usually focuses uh, more on their career than anything else. But you would think do they don't. I mean, I had such enormous sex drive from like the age of 12 on. Like nothing was going to stop. Like, you know, porn is a wonderful thing. I and but you know, I actually <laughs> really do not like porn because I feel like that's settling. Because cl- like, let's say you. Uh, by the way, I have never once gone to any porn website or anything. It's, it almost sounds like it's I'm lying. I mean, when I was a kid, I would steal my friend's brother's penthouse or hustler or whatever magazine. So it wasn't like I was a, a prude. But at some point, I decided, you know, all these things like porn or strip clubs or whatever is so fake. And what yeah. I really wanted was the feeling of someone liking me that I liked back. And of course, associated with that was sex. I, I was, you know, again, had enormous lust for women, but I just didn't want to get it in any kind of like fake way. No, I mean, that's, I think most guys feel that way. But you know what? You end up putting it off because it's really, it's really difficult. It's and so really it, difficult it, it, did they not there. like look good? Did they, were they too shy? Were there some other issues? Like, I don't really buy the whole, oh, I was too much into work because the reason you're too much into work is to meet women. <laughs> Going back to that theory. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a shyness thing. And I think it's not knowing what to do and feeling very uncomfortable you know, doing that. I, th- you know, I work with some guys where they have a lot of sexual shame because of religion. Uh, you know, the ra- being raised religious. Uh, you know, I, it's, there's all kinds of reasons where... You know, and that, that, I think it's an outlier. Like, I, I don't work with that many you know, 30, 40-year-old virgins. They do exist. It's not like my most common person. But if you haven't been dating or if you're 30 years old, 40 years old, or even 50 years old and you need a dating coach, it's mainly because you you haven't been either getting the successful relationships you want or you're settling for women who you're not actually interested in. You know? Yeah. No, I, I could see that. And, and, and by the way, uh, another thing I should mention is I was incredibly, incredibly shy. I mean, I grew up with the same two best friends from the age of five to the age of 18 till I went off to college. And, you know, my class didn't really change much in terms of who was in it. So it was the same guys, the same girls all through from first to 12th grade. And so I was so incredibly shy. Like when I was a kid, if I visited my grandparents and they took me to a playground, they would have to introduce me to kid. They would have to go up to the kid first who I wanted to play with and point me out. It was almost like dating. And uh, I was too shy to talk to anybody. I couldn't talk. And one one summer, I went away to a camp. I was so shy, I physically couldn't speak. 
And so everybody in the camp, including the counselors, they thought I, there was something wrong with me. They thought I was like, um, I'm not saying this in a bad way. They thought I was you know, mentally retarded. I don't know what the word is now, slow uh, in some way or my, my, you know, because I couldn't talk. I literally couldn't open my mouth to talk. And eventually they had to just send me home because they didn't know what was wrong with me. And kids would pick on me and other kids would say, no, leave him alone. There's something wrong with him. And that was like my thing. Oh boy. <laughs> so, but so, there, but, so what changed? Because you know, I, I wouldn't consider you shy anymore. I mean, now you're, I mean, you've interviewed some really big people in your life and you're, uh, you, I would, you know, you're pretty, uh, pretty big public figure. So what do you think changed? I think, a, I think a lot of things changed and that's, that's just it. So that's why I don't really know what to say. There's a lot of skills involved in, in meeting people. So one thing is, is that I got a lot more confident and I got, you get more confident by doing things in life. So if you decide, you know, take lesson, race car lessons at the racetrack, eventually you're going to be a pretty good race car driver. And that's, but maybe you'll compete in a race or two. And that's a pretty cool thing and you'll get confidence. So I never did that. I did much less cool things, but still good enough to give me confidence. So around, I don't know, on the age of like 14, and again, this is the 80s, I got really into this new thing called breakdancing. So I was like obsessed with breakdancing. Like that, I would skip school. I was never a good student. I would skip school and hang out with my friends and we'd go into the city and we'd just like breakdance all day. Sounds odd. And then, but still, and then we'd go to clubs at night and we, you know, there'd be battles and that seemed like it was getting me close to what I wanted, but, and that, but then my interest changed. So I was around end of age 16. I got really obsessed with chess. Didn't know how to play. Didn't really know the rules. Played a little with my dad when I was younger, but nothing big. So I started playing chess when I was almost 17 years old. And by the time I was 18, I was New Jersey's high school or junior chess champion. I was the under 21 chess champion in New Jersey. And I got a lot of confidence being the best at something. So I, I was the best person I knew at an activity, this activity chess, which is considered a dorky activity. But on the flip side, it's also considered you're considered very intelligent if you play chess. Neither is true. You're neither dorky or intelligent. You just happen to be good at a game that little kids play. But you know there was a certain aura that went with that. And it helped me with a lot of things. Like literally the day after I won the New Jersey Junior Chess Championship was the first time some girl said yes to me asking her out. And I don't think it's because she asked me out because I won some dorky tournament. I was legitimately more confident. And I had just gotten into college as well. And so I was just more confident. But that still was not enough to really propel me to doing anything more than asking a girl out and having her say yes. I still had to actually go on the date and have things to say that were interesting and sure. be funny and humorous and and listen. You know, there's all these extra skills. There's no such skill as like being good at meeting women and dating them. There's a lot of micro skills. There's being a good listener. There's being empathetic. There's being funny. There's having a certain inner confidence that comes with mastering other activities that, that most people haven't mastered, you know, so you can, you have something unique and unusual to say. 
And then there's there's being interested in the person and not in a fake way, but finding something about the, the girl that you're legitimately interested. So there's all these like micro skills that add up to one meta skill of being good at meeting people in general. You know, there's being good at small talk or there's being good at moving from small talk to big talk. So there's there's lots of things. And it took me a long time to learn those skills. So like when I first actually kissed a girl in college, I was worried I had none of these skills and I better lock this down. So I instantly moved in with her and declared my love. And that was my girlfriend for the rest of my college days. And you know, a similar thing happened in... Well, I started dating more in, in finally in grad school. And then finally, when I got a job and, and was in New York City and there's a 6 million people around. And then then you have to start getting good at quantity versus quality. Not quantity of girls you're having sex with or whatever, but just getting used to asking lots of girls out. Like If you like somebody, you have to ask them out or else you're never going to go out with them. So that's when I started thinking more in terms of all of these sub-skills. So I knew... I knew I needed more confidence in myself because every single prior relationship, I got too obsessed with the girl. And and that would be... Pretty usual. Yeah. And that would, of course, was a turnoff to them and it would end poorly. And I had so many things end poorly because of that. Like it was just... And I just gave up everything in life because of things like that. Like, I don't know, story after story. But so, so, so... Then there was I, I wanted to get good at going up to people and talking to them. Oh, so so I get good at chess. Not quite good enough to say that I'm not I'm no Brad Pitt of chess. And so then I started getting interested in other things. Like I got really interested in writing. So around 1990, 30 years ago, I got obsessed with I wanted to write a novel and I wanted to write a book and be published and maybe make a living writing. And so I started writing about three... I would read every morning and then I would write about 3,000 words a day, which is about 10 pages a day. And I had a job. I was a programmer. But being a computer programmer is an easy job. Like you get, you get your program done and then you don't have to do anything. And so I would just spend the whole day writing. And I would... T- when people were introduced to me and say, oh, I'm a writer, I had so much arrogance. Like, oh yeah, I'm a writer. I didn't publish a single thing t- for like 11 years after I started writing. But no problem. I was a writer. And I don't know. I could, I could go through my whole life story. But essentially, here's what I got good at. I got good at telling a story. And that's what writing every day does for you is you get really good at telling a story. And I got good at telling it in as few words as possible because nobody... When you're meeting a girl, they're only going to listen for three seconds before they turn away. And... Then I started getting cooler jobs. Uh, so that was... I started adding to my resume of things I could talk about. And then I also got really interested in interviewing people. So I wanted to write about other people. So I got really good at walking up to random strangers in very awkward situations and saying, Hey, can I talk to you? And you know, I have, I've interviewed hundreds of people with this podcast. The podcast started in 2014. But in 1996, I started interviewing people. I had, I'm going to say it right now. I had the, what I will call the first podcast. And what I mean is for HBO, the television network, I was, I was an employee and I pitched them on this idea. I said, you guys have great 
original TV programming. How about you do original web programming? And they're like, we don't even have a website. And so I built their website and then I, and then they said, okay, do whatever you want. So I started a web show, which involved me interviewing people. What are you doing out at New York City at three in the morning on a Tuesday night? Because that's, if, if it was a Saturday night, I understand why you're out. If it's a Tuesday night, there's no good reason why you're outside. Sure. Think, of, right. think of all the reasons you're, you're out at three in the morning on a Tuesday night anywhere. The reasons are not good. And that was my theory. And it worked. So I, I interviewed people for like three years. Every Tuesday night, I would interview like 20 people. I'd pick the best five. I'd get transcripts and then design around the, the interviews and occasionally videos. But I was interviewing tons of people and I could interview whoever I wanted. So I would interview uh, mostly women, actually. So I'd get, I got really good at interviewing and talking and go, just going up to women. And, you know, whether it was sometimes they were prostitutes, sometimes they were drug dealers, homeless, you know, they're, they're pimps, felons. Even maybe scarier than just going up to a woman at, you know, Whole Foods. Oh my God. I mean, I was chased quite a bit. Like, because if I saw a couple <laughs> arguing, at three in the morning on a Tuesday night, hey, uh, can I ask what you guys are arguing about? And some people were not very happy with that, uh, depending on what they were arguing about. And you know, uh, you know, a lot of I definitely interviewed a lot of criminals that because they're out at three in the morning. There's a whole lifestyle at three in the morning that's the exact opposite of the lifestyle of three in the afternoon. And so I got very familiar with that lifestyle in New York City, not participating in it, but as an observer of it, and. I, I interviewed, I must've interviewed, I mean, this is for three years or two and a half years. I did like about 150 of these episodes. So I must've interviewed about 3000 people in that process. And I got good at talking to people and writing about what I learned. And I, and I got good at really very quickly getting people to open up to me and tell me things that I could ask about. And so I had an interesting interview and you know that- You got good at that and you got good at interviewing. Yeah, I got good at it. I mean. You're always, it's always something, one of those things that you get better and better at, but I got, I got good at it, particularly when I compare the end of that to the beginning. And just like when you compare, I'm sure now with podcasts, when you, as when you started doing a podcast. And then on top of that, I started a company building websites for other companies. There was like five people in New York City who knew how to build websites at that time. And I made money that way. So suddenly I went from dead broke and shy to, Still shy, but at least able to put on a persona where I could talk to people. And I had a little bit of money. So I was able to, for, for my age, I wasn't doing so badly. I had a company. I had like 30 or 40 employees. We built up. I sold the company. I got married because I was so good at it that finally girls were really liking me and, and around for the, for the ride. Again, they, they didn't... You know, the, my my first wife I met before I had any money, but I was just starting this business. She could see that I was ambitious and that I had skills. I also had a sense of humor. I I found out, I've sort of discovered later in life, and finally I was starting to ask girls out, and they were saying yes, and they were liking me, and just the first person who loved me I married, and that and that was that. To me, James, it sounds like all these, all this collection of experience and skills, I'm, I'm, this is generally speaking, all of these skills and experience seems 
has seemed to give you confidence that got you to that point where, okay, now women are saying yes. I mean, I, again, I know there's something, and I like what you said earlier, and I agree with what you said. There's, it's not that you get good at being with women, but you get on good at all these kind of micro skills of what makes you good with women. And yeah. I think that, yeah, you started to build up some of those specific micro skills that would be good with women. But I think on top of that, you, you gained a lot of confidence through your life experience and, and just being able to do things. And I, I think that, unless I'm wrong here, it sounds like it built your self-esteem through the years where, yeah, maybe you're still shy because it's just... In order to really defeat shyness, you need to have a lot of experience with with women and things like that. But I don't know. Do I have that right? Does that sound yeah. about right? No, oh, completely. And I had a, a sense that I not only needed to get really good at things, but I was so insecure. I felt like I really needed to get good at cool things. So it wasn't enough to just have a job, have a job with a high salary. I had to be working at HBO and, and doing a show for them. Like I couldn't just be a programmer. I was I, I was hired. My title was junior analyst programmer at HBO, but I knew that that wasn't good enough. So I nailed my way into building their first website and then use that as a launching pad to do these original web shows where in a sense, I, I don't think there was anything like it on the internet at that time. In like late 1995, early 96, when I started, like this was a real thing. Like Time Magazine featured an article on it. So people started to know who I was, for instance, at HBO. And I was started to work with their original programming department, which made TV shows instead of just the computer programming department. So, so again, but it was all this facade, right? It wasn't really me. It was like I, my identity was defined by, oh, I'm a, a chess master who has a company, but also does these kind of quasi-internet shows for HBO. Like it, it was starting to add up to a cool kind of resume, like a, a, a weird, unique resume, but I had zero confidence. Like that was my identity. I had zero confidence still in myself, but I had confidence in this armor that I put around myself, this identity of here's who I am. Here's the, what do you do? Oh, I work at HBO. And then I don't even have to say anything more. Like people would just keep asking. And so it would seem like uh, I'm just admitting, but it would seem like I was humble. When, but I knew the sequence of questions that people would ask because people would be curious. Oh, what are you doing at HBO? And oh, you're doing this. That sounds like a really cool project. And oh, you're a chess master too because they're thinking like, oh, that's he must be smart or something. When it's like, you have a company also and the company might not have been doing well. Nothing might have been doing well, but I had all these things to say. Like when I first took the job at HBO, I was offered a job at JP Morgan for double the salary, 100% more salary, 80,000 a year instead of 40,000 a year. I took the job at HBO because I knew it sounded cooler than working at JP Morgan. <laughs> and of course, it, it, it in that sense, it, it did pay off because when people hear that, it's interesting. I think really also what you were doing is you were cre- you were becoming a more interesting person and you weren't faking it. You actually were becoming a more interesting person. And even over the years since then, you know, you become an even more interesting person because you've built, you know, so much and had so much other so many other experiences and have talked to so many interesting people. You wrote 20 books. It's like I feel like you've this is who you are. You have built this almost like resume of cool shit, of interesting things. Yeah, yeah because you know and, and here's the thing. So so I think that is true. It didn't necessarily solve 
my problems of confidence at the time. I didn't know that was happening, but you know, you you only get good at things you love doing anyway. So it's like if you wanted to write a novel and have it published, if you're not good at it, you're you're never gonna. And if you don't know the skill of getting good at it, which is like a meta skill, you're you're not gonna be able to get good at it. And part of getting good at something is you have to love it enough to want to put in the time and the effort True. to be because you have to be better than everyone else. It's a competitive world out there, and so you do start to get good at things that you love doing. And so that it's not just a total facade. It just it just felt like a facade. Like I actually was getting good at writing in ways that benefited me considerably, even though I never, I published a lot of books, but I never published a novel, but I ended up being a good storyteller. And, you know, working at HBO really taught me how the entertainment business worked. And I worked with some really high level people who are great at making shows. And, you know, I learned something. And then I talked to thousands of people who had all sorts of weird backgrounds in the middle of the night. So, and, and this was like an idea I had. So I got good at executing on ideas I had. And then I was running a business and all of these things too. Like even the chess, I got good at talking to adults. I was this kid playing in these, you know, there's no chess has no age. So I was the only person in my grade. It was like talking equally to people three times my age or half my, my age. And, you know, just depending on who I was playing and what tournaments I was at. So I was part of another subculture and I realized, oh, there's not just the cool kids in high school. I can leave and join this other subculture where it's completely different and I'm treated completely differently. And so I realized the power of diversifying subcultures and having lots of interests that were that I loved. And so it really became a story of what I, whatever I was passionately interested in and pursuing it and getting good at it, but at the same time, avoiding depression. Like I was unhappily married and I lost... I First time I made a lot of money, I lost all of it. And so my whole sense of identity, I, I had poured all of it at one point into making money. That became... My, my self-worth was equal to my net worth and my net worth fell to zero from millions. I my self-worth went to zero and I just couldn't talk to anybody. And so I had to keep going through these kind of... This was like in 2000. From 2000 to 2010, I kept making millions and then losing millions and then making millions and then losing millions. It happened to me like four times between 20, between 2000 and 2015. Yeah. I, I remember broke. reading about that on your on your newsletter a lot, all these stories of, of, of that. Yeah. Too many. I probably wrote too many times about that, but I, I basically went broke, lost my home, had, you know, had all sorts of problems. My wife at the time was probably disgusted with me, which is why we ended up divorced. And it really took a long, and then, you know, when I was back on the dating scene, I was like desperate again, like, oh, uh, this is going to be my last chance. I'm never going to meet anyone ever again. And any girl that seemed great, it was like, this is the, I'm never going to meet someone like this again. This is the greatest thing. Since I didn't understand that every time you meet a girl, she seems like the greatest thing in the world until you get used to each other. So I should add a little bit more confidence in myself then as well. And here I am. Now I'm talking 35, 36, 40 years old, still no confidence in myself. So I still keep trying to add to the things I do. I became this published writer. I became very successful as a writer in the, in first the financial space and then in the self-help space. I started a couple different businesses that I built up and sold. And so people never really knew how much I was worth, even though throughout this period, I kept making millions and then going dead broke. And, you know, and then I would just try to get better at more and more 
skills. And I, I keep on writing books. I've written like 25 books now about every topic under the sun. Actually have written one novel. But I don't know. I just, I just kept... You know, how, did then, you, how did you get through all that? And then that's, I wanted to ask you this question because I, I knew about your history because of what I've read from what you've wrote in, in your email newsletter. And I'm curious, you know, and this, I think this relates to guys who might go out and get rejected or get into a bad relationship and then go out again and, and get rejected, whether it's online or in person or whatever. And you've experienced loss, you've experienced rejection on pretty crazy degrees, like you've just said. How does a person get through that? And go to a place where you are now, where you've come out of it pretty clean on the other side. Yeah, and and to your point, rejection never goes away, no matter what. Like to this day, if you're if you're taking enough chances in life, and not big chances, like I'm not jumping out of a plane without a parachute, but if you if you if you try to get a little out of your comfort zone every day, you're going to get rejected every single day. Today. It, I don't think it's happened yet. Maybe it has, but I I will get rejected at something today. I get rejected, and 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 someone always tries to take me down a little bit each day. And I could avoid that, but I don't. And and that I think that's an important part of it is you you build the you, nobody ever has an impenetrable skin, but you build a thick skin, and and this the thick skin to losing money, the thick skin to being rejected. So one of my books is called Choose Yourself. It's basically about this process of how I kept losing and losing, whether it was money or relationships or you know coming back from being depressed and broke. How do you do that? You, you never fully solve these issues, but you get better at it. And so I started to ask myself, well, what, what am I doing on the way up? What am I doing right when I'm on the way up, whether it's in confidence or, or business or whatever? And what am I doing wrong on the way down? And everyone always says, "Well, what's what's the one technique? Like with dating, do you do you neg the girl? You know, blah blah blah. Or with with money, like you, what's your system? What's your what stock pick? Can I make a thousand dollars on this weekend? There's no answers for those questions. Like those are like dumb questions. And sure, the yeah. answer is is kind of a cliche, which I'm sure you know, but it's just simply being healthy. Like think about it in a business context. If you're sick in bed, if you're not physically healthy." You're not going to have a, a good business. You're not going to come up with business ideas and execute on them. If you're not emotionally healthy, same thing. If you're meaning, if you're if you're arguing with your spouse or friends or workers or whatever all day long, you're not going to have the time to 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 have an idea and and start a business. If you're not creative, you're again not going to come up with ideas and start a business. And and uh, there's ways to be to exercise your create your creativity muscles. And if you're not spiritual in some way, meaning some things you simply can't control in life, like let's say you love a girl and she gets married to someone else, that's it. You cannot control that situation. It's over. And you know you have to learn to very quickly move on from the things you can't control. And I call that spiritual health. So physical, emotional, creative, spiritual health. Every day I ask myself to this day, have I look back at the end of, at the end of the day, I'll look back and say, have I improved those things in my life as much as I could? Did I eat, move, sleep well for physical health? Did I do something to improve my relationships with the people around me? Did I exercise my creativity today? Because that the creativity muscle will atrophy almost instantly if you don't exercise it. And did I kind of not feel anxiety or regret over things that I can't control? And you know, I, I if I didn't, I try to think about it and and try to again. But 
that building that, that part, foundation. That part was the spiritual part that you just said there. Mm-hmm. That last part you said there, that was the spiritual part. Yes. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 building that foundation is really the key to everything else. Because like every day now, I'll write down a list of 10 ideas, for instance, to exercise my creativity muscle. And, you know, I'll do something for a friend or for my wife or for my kids. Like I'll do something for my emotional life. And I always, you know, exercise, sleep, you know, eat well. And spiritual health, you know, again, if if you're constantly being rejected, it's a good, it's a good way to practice spiritual health to kind of not let it affect you so much. And though that really was the ultimate foundation that I needed that that took me all the way to age 50 before I was good enough to say, you know what? I don't even need a woman in my life. I'm just going to do it on my own. And of course, right then is when you finally meet someone who, who, who is your match. So interesting. James, tell us the name of that book again that you were just talking about that you wrote. Is it called Choose Yourself? Yeah, Choose Yourself. Because I know you have uh, so many books on on so many great topics, uh, I just want to recommend that the guys definitely check that out if they're interested in learning more about what we're discussing here today. And and I just want to note too is you make a great point. If you don't have those pillars or that foundation that you're speaking of, it's really hard to get everything else in place. And that is uh, just you know great points in terms of continuing to keep up with some of those things your physical health your emotional health you know your spirituality wherever that may uh, you know lie for you so I, I just want to say and, and that's a big reason why I had you on the podcast today was because of some of those things that I've I've heard you say time and time again and things that I implement in my life based on this advice so I just want to thank you for sharing that with us and and really just thank you for doing what you do because I think that a lot of your information is is practical and it works and and again, it really hits those core concepts, the foundation. If you don't have that, it's like things just start to to fall apart, like a bad domino effect almost. Yeah, and and things definitely fall apart without that. Even with that, things still occasionally fall apart. But you have to keep getting better at it. And then, of course, you keep getting better at what you love doing. If you if if you don't keep getting better at what you love doing, then you'll keep getting better at things you hate doing or you'll keep getting worse at things you hate doing anyway. Right. And you know, another thing is I just want to add like when I first started dating after my first marriage is that and this became really good for public speaking as well or any meetings because YouTube had just come out and started being popular and so I started listening to comedy. If I had a date later that evening, I would start listening to comedy at least 2 or 3 hours before. I would listen to all my favorite comedians and not that I would repeat their jokes because if they know the joke, you're, then you've just lost out on everything. But comedians are like the best public speakers, right? They know how to, they have a good sense of humor. They know how to um, tell a story in as concise a way as possible. They know they have the best, they're the best at moving around in interesting and funny ways. Like just think of Chris Rock as an extreme example. They know how to like do voices and act out scenarios and be absurd and, roll with the punches when someone insults them. Like these are all comedic skills. And so I would listen to comedians back, this is like in 2007 or 2008. And that's a technique I use to this day is I listen to 
if I know I'm giving a, a public talk or even I had to do something last night, I'll, I'll watch like two or three hours of comedy beforehand to get my, my energy levels up. And you have these mirror neurons in your brain, like your body temporarily and voice and everything will temporarily mimic all the people around you. And the people around me in my mind were, you know, all the comedians I was watching. And again, not that I was directly copying anybody, it would just give me, when they're on stage, they're super confident and it would give me confidence. And to the point where for the past six years, I'm a stand-up comedian. Like I've been performing, particularly before the lockdowns, I was performing over 10 times a week. Now I perform a little bit less, but I have that skill to some extent. Right. Just another another skill to add to the the James resume. I, I love it. I just just performed last night at the Palm Beach Improv in Palm Beach, Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida. Nice. How'd it go? Oh, it went great. Yeah. That's well, it, great. it 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 I, I, it usually goes pretty good. That's awesome. What do you think will be your next skill or something that you want to learn that's coming up that you and that you haven't really gotten into yet? Anything anything in uh, the works? I don't know because you never like like in twenty. 14 I was going to I was going to write a novel and I got up on a stand up stage a stand up comedy stage and I became obsessed from that moment on so you just never really know what's going to hit you but I always like anything strategic or anything creative or storytelling sure. so yeah. comedy and writing are sort of related to each other and I love games and and investing is sort of related to games so my interests tend to fall into two or three families of interests. And, you know, I like performing without being an extrovert. And I like the flow that occurs during an intense game. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. Any books that you're writing in the meantime? Yeah, I have a book coming out in February called Skip the Line, which is about a lot of what we spoke about, which is that let's say you're 40 years old, 45, 50, and you're one of the 55 million people who just got laid off or just in general, you want to you you realize, oh, I really have a passion for cooking. I no longer want to be an accountant. I wrote a book, basically, how to think about skipping the line in whatever your passion is. Because people will always tell you, you, you what are you doing, James? You can't. You're 50 years old. You're not going to be a stand-up comedian. You're 50 years old. You're not going to write a novel. You're 50 years old. You're not going to start the next Google. But the ones who are telling you you can't do something, they're the ones who actually can't do it. But I wrote an entire book about how I've switched careers like five or six times. Plus, among the hundreds of people I've interviewed, many of them have switched careers and gone to the top 1% of their field very quickly. So using all these techniques that I kind of summarize in, in Skip the Line. Cool. Awesome. That comes out in February 2021. Yeah. And a lot of it, I have a lot of persuasion techniques in there, which are always... Persuasion techniques is the wrong word. I, I prefer the word frame control. But uh, this is a very important thing in both dating and relationships, not to manipulate, but just to understand at any given moment in a high stakes situation, one person has the frame and the other person doesn't. And if it's a high stakes situation, you kind of want to have the frame or else someone's going to take advantage of you. And so I have a, a couple chapters about that. Cool. Awesome. Oh, no, that's very important with any tough situation, communicating with someone on a very important level, relationship, business, anything like that. Frame control is is huge. So that's cool. So that's also going to be in Skip the Line, you said? Yeah, yeah. You, sh you should do... A, I'm sure you've done this already. Have you done any podcasts on on good frame control techniques? Um, I, I know I... I think I have some from my early, early podcast, you know, back in maybe 2015, 2016. 
But it'd be cool to have you back on and talk about that at the release of your book if you're interested. Yeah, that'd be great because I find it's one of those things like a lot of books, particularly a lot of self-help books, they give this advice that it's really hard to apply in real life. But frame control techniques, they have saved my life. I have applied them so many. I just, I was in a debate the other day, like I was invited to this debate on a somewhat controversial topic. And just knowing the basics of frame control put me so far ahead of the person I was in this debate with that it's ridiculous. I had to actually teach him in the debate how he should be arguing against me. Oh my and, God, that's very meta. Yeah. And and of course, that's a good frame control technique too when, when you become the teacher and they become the student. Right. Oh, wow. That's huge. See, that's, that would be really crucial to know if you're in a conversation with a woman that you're approaching or just on a date. You know, and being able to 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 hold that frame and be the one more in control. Because once the woman takes control, uh, it's over. Yeah, you start you lose it. Like you start to lose it. It's like it's like doing stand up comedy. If you're the guy on the stage with a microphone in your hand, and if you lose frame control in that situation, you are just fed into the the den of wolves. Like they will eat you alive in the crowd. So with frame control is really important in stand up comedy and public speaking. It's important in in debates, it's important in negotiation, it's important in sales, and it's important in meeting members of that you the opposite sex, I was going to say, but people you want to date. It's really important. Cool. Awesome. Well, maybe you should just do a whole book on that if it's so important, right? You know, I've thought about it. And then I gave that advice to a, a friend of mine and, and he did it. I wrote the foreword of that book. It's called The Power Bible by uh, Bill Petit and Brandon Lemon. It's actually a very, very, very good book. Cool. Awesome. Well, James, I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Guys, check out Choose Yourself. Also, uh, well, well, we'll have you back on where we can we can talk more about frame control and talk more about some of the stuff you talk about in uh, Skip the Line. So we'll definitely have you back. But I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing some of this knowledge and just being open about your situation. And I think a lot of guys can relate to it. And we got some good advice out of it. So appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Trip. thank you so much for, for having me on. All right. Take care, man. We'll talk to you in a few months.